We keep having tragic instances happening in our nation and in our, our world. August the 3rd, 2019. It's Saturday morning. People are leisurely heading to Walmart to shop. A gunman also shows up. 24 eventually die. 26 injured. Only a few hours later, about 15 hours later, in the early morning hours of August the 4th, 2019, people are out, maybe kind of unwinding from their week, just wanting to have a relaxing good time. A gunman shows up, nine are dead, along with the gunman's sister, and another 27 injured. There's actually three such instances during that week, but these three just added to the over 200 similar instances that have happened in the year 2019. In 2019 alone, such violence, uh, such uh, tragedies. Now, many people have offered reasons as to what's behind all of this. You know, the need for greater gun control, better background checks, mental illness, all kinds of, of things. The heated uh, rhetoric that's coming out of uh, Washington, D.C. from all uh, divisions and parts of it. They've thrown all kinds of reasoning around as to what's behind it. But I think one expert may have come closest to it. I know probably some of you have watched Oprah Winfrey or uh, know something about her, but uh, she spoke something that I said, you know, she might be on to something. She made the comment in reaction to these uh, two shootings in El Paso and then Dayton, Ohio, uh, and saying, I think, and I quote, I think people are missing the core value center, a core value center core moral center for their living. You know, the church, the Christian church, used to take its direction, its cue for what was right and wrong, what's uh, to do, how to love people, respect people. Uh, the world, the church used to take its cue from, from God. And the world took its cue for what's right and how to respect people and how to deal with people and, and deal with hardships. You know, the difficulties one person is having within their own lives or maybe in relationship with others uh, by looking at the church. But now too often we're looking, we in the church are taking our cues for things from the world around us, the secular world. And that's really quite unfortunate. Because I agree with what the Reverend Bill Hybels once said. In fact, he said it quite often. It was a common phrase uh, for, for Bill. He is founder and the former senior pastor of uh, the uh, Willow Creek Community Church outside of Barrington, Illinois. Uh, uh, a church that average attendance is over 20,000 every Sunday, every weekend. He always said the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. But if the church fails, and ultimately, if we who are, are, are the church, me, you, then we're failing the world. If we're going to be the hope of the world, then we've got to have within our own hearts and in our own lives a hope that is beyond the world. And our only true hope 
can be found in a solid foundation that's laid forth by God and Jesus Christ. You know, if we give up on Christ, if everything we are about is what the world is about, then we're lost as a world and as a people. I loved Sherry's uh, children's uh, moment here. Uh, yeah, I would have, you know, oh, you're passing out gift cards. Let me grab one uh, there. But, uh, you know, she talks about, you know, that, you know, where value is. You know, we, we even in the church, as we have come more and more like the secular society, have found our value more in secular things, whether it's uh, our wealth, uh, our possessions, our activities. You know, we, we, we tend to, to look at that uh, where we obtain our value and not in Jesus Christ. Not in Jesus Christ. You know, you got the, the gospel story, uh, always a great uh, story showing us, you know, that, you know, we can place our, our worth in the wrong things. We can place it in the wrong things and lose out on the greater things. We can lose out on that. I hope you're not like my, my mother-in-law. Uh, my mother-in-law was a very sweet individual. I love my, my mother-in-law. She died back in uh, uh, 2001, just prior to 9-11, to uh, and uh, really miss, miss her. Such a sweet, uh, very kind individual. But once she got married, she quit going to church. Uh, you know, my father-in-law, he quit church and, uh, as a teenager and never would go back. Uh, and she just kind of fell on into that. Uh, my wife uh, did not exactly grow up in church, but when she did go to church, uh, her grandmother took her. And, uh, and that really had a great impact upon her, uh, a tremendous impact upon her. But one uh, day as we sat around the table talking with Melissa's mother, uh, Little Belle was, was telling her about her church experience when she was a child, growing up in church, and how special that was. You know, she can remember the teachers, she can remember the activities and the things that uh, that day, and how special that was to her, how that strengthened her, and how strong her faith was as she was a child growing up in, in that Methodist church. It was so wonderful. But then she paused. She paused. And a sadness, that uh, sparkle that had been in her eyes telling that story of her childhood experiences, her youth experiences in the church, that sparkle left her eyes and then sadness came into them. She says, I don't know what happened to my faith. I guess I grew up. What she meant by that was that, she, that the world took over. She became so busy. Everything became important to her except God. You know, this activity, that activity, you know, getting involved in, in this. So many things took the place of God. Became more important as she set a God aside. I guess I grew up, she said. You know, there's a danger in that. Life happens. Life happens, and it can be so challenging for us to balance things in the proper way. 
we realize as we gather in the church that a part of our nature is spirit, it's soul. But too often also we starve it to death. We starve it to death. We, we may set a little time here aside and there a time, but we starve it to death instead of strengthening it, building it, making it a priority. And the world needs a strong church that lives out the word of Christ. And God has provided for us such strong promises upon which not only do we need to stand firm, but which will also benefit our lives in tremendous ways. Tremendous ways. Think about the one about prayer. You know, if you, 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 you pray about something, you seek, you knock. Will God not answer your prayer? He talked about, you know, if you talk to him, will he, you know, would a, a good father give us a, a scorpion? Would a good father, you know, give a stone instead of a fish if the child asked for it? How much better can, will God give to you? Some of you may know uh, Jamie from the Bethlehem uh, Church. Uh, she taught me so much about faith, so much about living out your, your, your faith. I mean, I've been in pastoring when I retired. It was 41 years. And here, towards the end of my time, I'm, I get a, a tremendous lesson on faith from a layperson who teaches me about it. Six years before, she discovered a, a lump in her breast. She knows right off the bat it's probably cancerous. But she doesn't rush to the doctor. Not that we should avoid doctors, but she doesn't rush to the doctor. She says, God's going to take care of this. God's going to take care of this. And she started really praying. And her family started praying. Well, time went by. Six years later, and I didn't know this at the time, she went blind in her left eye. She knew that the cancer had spread. She wasn't going to go to the doctor because God's got this. God's going to take care of this. Finally, her parents came to me, um, you know, about three or four months after she had gone blind in that left eye, and, and they were in tears. Didn't know it at the time, but she had pneumonia. She was so weak she could, uh, had to be helped around and, and had no strength on her own, and her parents came to me, tears flowing down her eyes, and said, we we got to get Jamie to the doctor, and she won't go. I had an appointment later that afternoon. I said, when I finish that appointment, you tell Jamie I'm coming over and she's going to the doctor. <laughs> well, when I got there, I guess that warning was enough. Oh, no, the preacher's coming. I better get busy because uh, when I got there, she said, I've already made an appointment. Well, it turns out they put her in the hospital because she hadn't had pneumonia and they began the process of examining. I told Jamie, I said, God creates doctors. God has made the doctors. Go to a doctor. Well, a friend of theirs said, I know, the, and they did do the biopsy. She had uh, cancer. Um, a friend of her said, I know the oncologist you need to go to. He was a praying doctor. It's wonderful when I go in with, with church members who are facing surgery and the doctor says, can I pray with everybody? Not preacher, will you pray, but can I pray for everybody? And they have the surgical room, the nurses and all praying 
together before that service. But this was a praying doctor. And when he met, when he met Jamie, the first thing he said was, let's pray about what we're going to find. And from then on, I'd like to say there was a progress of, of healing, but there wasn't. In fact, things continued to get worse, you know. Over the course of months, about a year's time, things got worse as the cancer continued to spread, and it was in six different places, including her brain and her lungs. Things were not looking good. And Sarah was, uh, Satan was really going to bring a, a big test upon her. You know, because she was still saying, you know, God's got this. God's going to bring this healing. And her daughter, who is now 11 years of age, 12 years of age, said, God's going to do this. I mean, her daughter is she's talking about a strong child of faith. God's going to heal this. She ends up with pneumonia a second time, and, and she's in a bad way, really bad way. So bad that a doctor comes in that Jamie has not seen before. He's looked at her record. He comes in. He says, well, you're going to die. Let's call hospice. We've got to get you in hospice. She told him, get out of my room. I'm not going to die. God's going to heal me. You get out of here, and don't you ever come back. And told the hospital nurses, said, don't ever allow him back into my room. And from that day forward, healing took place. The church had called the parents before. She was too, too weak to come before the church. Called the, fam, the parents to stand in for in the church. We anointed them with oil. We prayed uh, over in the church, really uh, had been praying for that, that year. And we saw God do miracles and work miracles. I saw Jamie last, last weekend, and I'm just a, always amazed when I see her, the strength that is in her. And, and she has one place that the doctor thinks is a scar, and that's it. She's healed. Not because of medicine, but because of God and medicine working together. God, the miracle worker, who places before you promises that you can rely on, that you can stand firm on. God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, you know, come. I'm inviting you out of, out of Ur, a place that's now in modern-day Iraq. Come forth. I'm going to show you a land, and, and you're going to be numerous, your descendants. And Abraham trusts him. He believes in him. Places his faith in him. He stands firm on that faith. And he goes with God. He doesn't know what's going to happen on that journey. He doesn't know where he's going to find food for everybody that's uh, in his group, his servants and, and everyone. He doesn't know if there's going to be armies he's going to meet. He doesn't know what's going to happen along the way. All he understands is that God has invited him, God has made a promise, and he's placing his faith in God. Not in himself, but in God. Now, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know that you know, there were questionable times. Uh, about 13 years or so after God had made this, this promise about descendants, in this story, taking him outside, saying, look up at the sky, if you can count those stars, you know, go ahead and try, but your descendants are going to be more numerous than those stars. 
for about 13 years. He does, you know, well, maybe we misunderstood God. Maybe we didn't correctly hear God and what he meant by all of this. Maybe we've got to take things into our own hands. God comes back and says, well, you had a weak moment, Abraham, but I'm still committed to you. I'm still committed. Sometimes because those promises God makes to us, because we have made prayers and prayed and prayed and prayed and, and things aren't happening immediately and automatically. I immediate, sometimes I expect results in 20 seconds, you know. I give up, not waiting 13 years, but maybe 13 seconds uh, giving up on, on things. But when God makes a promise, He's a promise keeper. And He keeps His promises to you. Back, uh, I was a student pastor when I was in college at Pfeiffer, and then, you know, as I was getting ready for graduation, I said, I'm not ready for, for ministry. I'm not ready to go to seminary. And uh, I'd always been excited about the military, so I signed up for the Air Force and uh, spent five years in, in the Air Force. Just a marvelous time uh, in, in my life. But that last year in military, we had extended because God continued to say, you know, it's time for seminary. It's time for, for ministry. And he was calling me out of that. So I, I said, okay. So at last year, Melissa and I really worked to save and, and do bills, but God had other plans too. And he gave us a third child. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, a third child. Well, Jeremy came into the world uh, about three weeks uh, before I left the Air Force and took over a small church in northern Georgia. The pay wasn't much. Melissa, with a young child, couldn't work that first, uh, first year, and so money was very tight, you know, student budgets and, and all. Money was, was very tight. It was also, you know, can we afford anything uh, type situation. But there was one day when Melissa came to me, she said, the baby doesn't have any food. You need to go to the store and get some, uh, some baby food for, for Jeremy. I'd already looked at my billfold because I was getting ready to go back down to Emory uh, for, for the week, and I needed to know, do I have money for gas? Do I have money for, uh, for food? And uh, I said, Melissa, I don't have anything because I'd already looked, and my billfold was empty. You know, I was assuming I wasn't going to eat for a week. Uh, I mean, the billfold had nothing. She kept on, but, the, you know, you've got to have money. The baby needs food. And finally, I said, Melissa, I'll show you my billfold. I don't have anything. I pulled out my billfold, opened it up. There was a $5 bill in that billfold. Where did it come from? I just looked at my billfold, and it was empty. And it was there. Did I overlook it? Except that same scenario happened three different times during that year. We'd reach a point where there was no money. And, you know, Melissa had come to me the Jeremy needs food. You've got to go to the store. I have no money. I've already looked. The billfold's empty. And I'd show her the billfold, and there'd be $5 there. Not $10, not $20. Boy, I could have used $100 for sure. But that was just enough. You know, God's, Jesus told us, you know, if we trust God, if we trust God, he will supply our needs. You know, don't worry about what to eat. God feeds the birds of the air. Don't worry about what to dress. And God clothes all the flowers of the, of the field. Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and I'll take care of everything for you. God did. God did. Back then in 1980, $5 actually went a long way. Uh, it doesn't go very far today, but it went a long way. Not only did he uh, buy food for uh, the, the baby, but uh, there was enough for gas uh, to get down to and back to um, Atlanta and food for the week uh, for me. So God supplied our needs. He promised he would if we trust him, if we stand firm on those, those promises. And the world needs it. The world needs our witness. God said, Jesus told us, he said, go into the world and make disciples. Bring people into a relationship with me. That's not just a, a verbal message. We don't speak enough of Christ. We don't share our faith enough as a church, and we need to do much more than, than that. That's also about living out the faith. Living out the faith. Standing firm on the promises of God that people may look and see your witness. Look and see your witness. I remember uh, probably about four or five months ago, I went into a restaurant <clears throat> and uh, sat down, and I noticed uh, off to a side, there was a group of, of four very rough-looking gentlemen, very rough-looking men, uh, some of them not shaved very well, dirty clothes and, and all. And, uh, you know, I just noticed, I said, well, they're maybe got off, you know, just taking a break from work or, or something, but, uh, you know, they were off uh, to themselves over in their corner and they'd ordered their, uh, their food and the waitress bought it to them. And the first thing they did was bow their heads, all four. And I could see all four of them praying. I don't know what that said to the others in the restaurant, but it was a powerful witness to me personally. I needed that even as a Christian. Somebody witnesses to me. They didn't intend intentionally want to to say hey people we're christians you need to be that way too but they were honoring god and giving thanks to god for their lives standing firm on the faith and that was powerful from my own soul and well-being maybe there won't be any major tragic things happen here in Pleasant Gardens area, Greensboro and, and around. We hope not. We hope not. But rather than worrying about that, we need to give thought to the influence we're having on people. You know, the strength we're bringing to the faith of other Christians as well as the testimony we're bringing to those who are outside the faith. We need to do so by saying, God, you've made me promises, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. Abraham waited 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. I mean, you'd you think, you know, like Sarah, you know, when Sarah was 89, you know, the three visitors came and they told Abraham, you know, next year this time, next year this time, Sarah's going to be rocking a baby. And Sarah laughs. 89? 
we'd laugh too. But God is a promise keeper. And while there's many things that we can't do, there's so much God can. And we need to allow Him by trusting. Let's pray. Holy Father, we have many examples of faith, Lord, as you have placed before us the witnesses down through the centuries of time. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to feel your presence with us as you have promised. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. May we place our faith in you as Christians and live out that faith. You keep your promises. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us keep ours. Amen.